Lord, that truly is our desire, to love you with all that we have. But Lord, if we're going to be honest, everyone in this room, we will confess that we failed at that today. Lord, we, <laughs> we know that you are a gracious and loving God, though, that you are patient with us. So Lord, forgive us where we have fallen short in that. Lord, we know that we cannot possibly achieve that without your filling, without your spirit filling us. Lord, without us knowing more of you, and that is our desire tonight, to draw closer to you by studying your word. Fill us, Lord, tonight with your spirit. Speak to us through your word. Lord, that tomorrow and the rest of tonight, Lord, that we would be able to do that more, be more and more like you, that our life truly would be a reflection of the the activity that is going on within us that you are doing and the finished work on the cross that you have done for us, Lord. Let us be that light in this dark world around us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the, the worship team, Lord, leading us tonight. We ask your blessing as we study your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles, please. First Samuel, chapter, anybody remember? 11, all right, <laughs> been a few weeks, First Samuel, chapter 11, I know you guys, hopefully most of you were here through the time I was gone, I started trying to catch up myself on the Wednesday nights that I missed, uh, watched the, the one from the Pastor Jeff from Wellspring on the Blood Covenant, that was that was very insightful, really enjoyed that myself today. Uh, if you missed any of those, you can go back. All of, the, all of the teachings are on the website, so you can catch up on any that you missed there. So please, 1 Samuel chapter 11 tonight, uh, as we have studied through in 1 Samuel now, uh, this transition period uh, from the, the time of the judges, that 500-year period uh, in the history of the Jewish people, where they were... They were led by the judges where, you know, God was their king, God was their leader, and when they would rebel against God, turn away from them, the enemy would come and, and he would allow them to be taken captive and then he would raise up a judge faithfully and to deliver them through that judge. Well, Samuel now is the last of those judges and we've followed his parts of his life now. He's become an old man and, the, and as we spoke last time, the children of Israel are dema have demanded a king. They want to be like everybody else. They don't want to be this singled nation that, that is ruled by God and God alone. They want to be like everybody else and have a king. And this grieved Samuel, certainly grieved the Lord at this request. And as we spoke last time, uh, that, that God said to Samuel, don't worry, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. But give them what they have asked for. And we finished that through, and we were studying through in, in chapter 10, and the, the, the king that was, that was initially chosen is the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. He was, he was the king that the people would choose. The, God chose him because that's who the people would choose for their first king, the, the one that stands taller than everyone else, the most handsome guy, all of this. That is the one that, they, that God chose to be their first king and started out pretty good as we finished the last time. We saw that, that certain people were not, were not thrilled with Saul being the one that was chosen and actually spoke out against him. But Saul's kept silent, didn't speak out against them. And as we now continue and pick up in chapter 11, we're going to see again that, that Saul starts out pretty good as, as a king. It says, now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabeth-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition, that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you, thus I will make it a reproach on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said, let us alone for seven days that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel, then if no one is to deliver us, we will come out to you. Then the messengers came to, Gib to Gibeah of Saul, and spoke these words in the hearing of the people, and all the, words, all the people lifted up their voices and wept. So we see the, the Ammonites, this, this people actually distant relatives of the Jewish people. 
through through Lot, the, 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 the incestuous relationship Lot had with his daughters. You can read about that in Genesis. The Ammonite people came from that. So Lot's nephew, or Lot's uncle, Abraham, where the Jewish people came from, so distant relatives, the Ammonites, but enemies nonetheless. They come now, and they are going to come against this one city of the Jewish people, the, this, this uh, uh, Jabesh Gilead. And th- this, this exchange that goes on here sounds kind of sounds strange when you first read through it. You know, they're going to they're gonna besiege the city. They're going to circle the city and, and basically kind of starve them out. The people of the city said, before you do that, you know, let, let's make a deal. And the, 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 the Ammonite commander said, well, if we're going to make a deal and you're just going to surrender to me, here's the conditions of it. I'm going to poke out your right eyes. You know, and, and this exchange, it seems kind of weird. Why don't they just fight it out? Well, back then, fighting it out, one, there's going to be heavy casualties on both sides. They're trying to avoid that. So they're trying to ma- strike this deal. And so now the, the Jewish people say, give us seven days. And so they send word now back for, for help. And we see when the message comes to Gibeah, where Saul is, this, the new king, the people there start weeping. Now, verse 5 now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. Now, again, here we see this interesting king, <laughs> king of Israel. He's not building a palace sitting on a gold throne. He's out doing what he always did before. I mean, and, and I like this about Saul. He's starting out again, pretty humble guy. We saw that initially in the first couple of chapters introducing him. And again, here in humility, he's out working, plowing the fields as he was before, the king. But it said he comes in and he said, what is the matter with the people that, uh, that they wept? So he hears this commotion going on and they related to him, to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then, says verse 6, the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words and he became very angry. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul here. And we're going to see that that, 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 that that takes place and he has great victory. In that, but later on, the Spirit is going to leave Saul. But we see here, and it's interesting because it says, and he became very angry. Now, th- th- those things don't seem to go together. But there is such a thing as righteous anger. And we see it displayed here. Saul is upset because of what is being t- the threat that is coming against the people of God in this city. We saw Jesus become angry at the, at the money changers in the temple and overturning the, the tables. So how do, what, what's the way that we can judge what is righteous anger and what is not righteous anger? And I think the way that we can do that is that the difference is the difference between good anger and bad anger is righteous anger and self-righteous anger. <laughs> The, the, the bottom line is, if we're angry because of what somebody has done to us, that's wrong. If we, are, if, if, if we see something that someone else is being oppressed or that God is being trampled on, that, and that should stir up within us anger. That, that, that should stir within us. But if it's any time when somebody is bringing something against us, when somebody does something against us, Jesus, when he's crucified, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So that, that we see that here. He's filled with the Spirit. He's angry because of the, the way they are coming against the people of God. He took, verse 7, a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man. So interesting postcard that Saul sends out to the people. He cuts up these oxen into small pieces and sends them out and says, this is what's going to happen to your livestock if you don't come and fight for your brothers at Jabesh Gilead. So they come out, verse 8, numbered them in Bezek. The sons of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. So 330,000 people respond, the first, Saul's first army that is here. They send the messengers who had come. They said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. So the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. So they get the message now back in the city as the enemy is still waiting out the seven days to hear back the response. And they're excited knowing that now their their brothers are going to come and fight for them. Then the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So sends the message out to the enemy. 
that, that they're going to surrender the next day. The next morning, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, that no two of them were left together. So an overwhelming victory that takes place the next day. The military strategy that Paul uses, breaking them into three companies, wiping out the enemy. Verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, who is it, who is he that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Now these are the men that at the end of chapter 10 we just spoke of, the, the, those were the ones that were speaking out against Saul being named king. You know, who is this guy that he's going to be the king over us? Now, after this great military victory that Saul now leads, certain other men were saying, now, who was it amongst them that was saying that? Let's bring him out here right now and let's put him to death, that they would speak against that. Here again, let's look at Saul, the way he starts out. Verse 13, Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Great start. Great leader, as we see here. He doesn't take credit for the victory. He's not the one that is standing up. He says, the Lord brought about this victory. And he extends forgiveness to those who had stood up against him. Not worried about what they're saying. Not worried about what they are stirring up. But, you know, what a great leader. A great leader that though, even when, when a great victory comes, he gives credit to God and he lifts up the people. Unfortunately, we're going to see that that's not a trait that it stays with him. Verse 14, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord at Gilgal. There they also offered up sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So now we see kind of, I guess you would say, the inauguration takes place here. Before, because we, we had seen that he was talked about as king earlier, and we can kind of look at that as the election, if you would, or the time that he's recognized. But now time later, where he's, there's another ceremony where he's basically, basically sworn in, and that is what is taking place here. During this process now, as we transition into chapter 12, Samuel is, at this point, handing the baton off, if you would, to Saul. He has been the leader, as I mentioned, the last of the judges. And this is, this is kind of his last act as the leader this way. He will remain a prophet. We will see that he continues to have a great ministry for, for a few more years. But this is kind of handing off this leadership now officially to Saul. And we'll see, as we read through chapter 12... You can go back through and mark it later if you'd like, or you can take my word for it. Samuel references God as Lord 30 times in these few verses. 30 times. And again, that idea that, yes, we're going to speak of this man king, this human king, but God is still in control. God is still the supreme king. Yes, we have a man over us now. You've demanded that. We're going to see that as we go through this. But don't ever forget, ever, ever, ever forget that God is still in control. God is still the one that we serve. So we see, verse 1, chapter 12, Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you have said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And we spoke of his sons several weeks back, wicked sons. It's too bad that he can't hand off to his sons, but they are disqualified from any type of leadership whatsoever. So, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. And many of those that were in the hearing of this were, had seen Samuel grow up, had even grown up with Samuel, and we saw at the beginning that from his very young days growing up to this point now. Here I am, verse 3, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed, whose ox I have taken. Or whose donkey I have taken? Or whom have I brought, taken a bribe to blind my eyes with? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or opposed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed it is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand 
And they said, he is witness. Samuel is saying again, as he is now transitioning this piece, he is saying, all of the years, from my young days until now, if there is any one of you here that has anything that they can say against my integrity, against the, the way that I judged, did I took anything from you? Did I defraud anyone? Did I take a bribe from anybody, anyone, to, to, to pervert justice? And no one said a thing. Everyone said, absolutely not. What a great testimony. What an amazing testimony to be able to stand at the end of his at the end of his time, he's finishing his race, and to be able to say that, <laughs> to be able to say that, as, as, as Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I've run the race, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, fought the good fight. Anybody remember? A little bonus points from Arabic. Anybody remember that? Shakala, shakala, quest. All right. Okay. If you weren't here Sunday, watch the video. Um, fought the good fight, and saw Samuel again here saying the same thing, standing up in integrity. And now he turns his attention again, now off of him towards the people. Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So they sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asherahs. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubbabel, which who is Gideon, and Bedan, who is Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel. So he's covering the, the, uh, the judges up to, again, him being the last one. And delivered you from their hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in security. He gives a history lesson again. And as we have seen throughout the, the Old Testament times and the, the history of the Jewish people, they continually the leaders continually remind them of this. Moses recounting several times. Joshua recounting. And here we see now Samuel recounting the history. And you can say, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Samuel, we heard this. We've heard this all before. We hear it all the time, the history. But it's so important. All of the truths of God, even though we can say, you know, I've read that passage so many times. I've read, I've read Romans so many times. Read it again. I've read, I've read through the Bible several times. Read it again. I've heard messages on this. Listen again. We cannot get enough of the Word of God. Can never hear it enough times because the Word of God is alive and active. And if we allow it to, it will do a work in us. I love the, the words of, of Paul to the church at Philippi in chapter 3. He says, uh, the, to write the same things again to you is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. <laughs> I'm repeating this, and it's not a big deal to me. It's not, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll repeat it again and again and again, and it's a safeguard for you. Jesus often repeated the things that he said over and over because his disciples needed to hear it. We need to hear it. My kids all the time, we have this exchange constantly. I'll tell them something, and they'll say, I know. My response is, I know you know, <laughs> but I'm telling you again <laughs> because you need to hear it. It's like God saying, I know you know, but hear it again. Well, verse 12, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, so now we're bringing it right up to the present day, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now, how that must sting at that moment. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for. And behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Verse 14, if, now notice again, he points to the king. He's, he's, here is Saul. Here's the king in all of his robes or whatever he might have been wearing. And again, he stands head and shoulders above everyone else after this great victory. They've just had this great celebration. 
Here he is. But listen to what Samuel says next. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. Even though he is here, it still is all contingent on what you do with the Lord. You will serve him and follow his command. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, verse 15, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Even now, focusing again on the power of God. Now, it seems to take an interesting twist, but we have to follow this through to the end because God is speaking through and working through Samuel in a powerful way with the people here. It is not, is it not wheat harvest today? He's asking them a question. Is it not right now in the middle of the wheat harvest? Which means it is the dry season. There are, there are rainy seasons in Israel, just as it is here, that we expect rains. But there are times when if it rains, you're blown away. And that's one of these times here. It never, it doesn't rain during this time of year normally. So he says, isn't it wheat harvest today? And I'm sure it was a day like today, not a cloud in the sky. He said, I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So he's drawing again this point here that God is in control. He's all powerful. It's, he's gonna, I'm going to pray and he's going to have it rain today. And when it did, the people greatly feared now this is you reach they're at this point right now that we've probably all been in in our lives several times where we ask for something god allows it to happen and afterwards you regret it right ever been there <laughs> and so now they are in that situation now they're like what did we do what did we do here god again showing his power and we we said, we don't want you as our leader. We don't want you as our God. We want a king. And so he brings this to show this, but he doesn't leave it there. And again, I love this. This is, this is our God. Sometimes he sends storms out of, the, out of the blue, totally unexpected to get our attention. And that's what's happening here. He's getting their attention with all of this. Then all of the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Notice your God, not our God. Unfortunate so that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins the evil by asking for ourselves a king. Recognizing, however, in that, that we have done wrong. We have done wrong. Now pray to God for us. And Samuel said to the people, verse 20, do not fear. You have committed all of this evil yet. <laughs> however, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Basically saying, yes, what you did was wrong. But there's mercy and there's grace. You move forward from today and you follow him with all your heart. The Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning. What a glorious thing. Anyone else happy for that? <laughs> every morning, his mercies are new. He's not sitting up there upset about, let's talk about what you did yesterday. Because yesterday, as far as the east is from the west, mercy is new every morning. For those of us who are born again, our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And he's, 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 yesterday is past. It's, it's, it's over. That's done. Focus on what is ahead. You must not, he said, turn aside from, for then you would go to, to, to after the futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Don't make these mistakes again. Don't chase after what the world says. Don't go after this stuff. You wanted an earthly king. That's futile. You have one now, but serve me. Move forward in this. The, mistakes have, the mistake has been made, but stay on the path now. Learn from that. Don't, don't go off again. Realize that when you chase after these things, they're empty. They're vain. Verse 22, and this is, 
Verse 22 needs to be highlighted in your, in your Bibles if it's not. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Again, if you, didn't wa- if you weren't here for that message on covenant a few weeks ago, I would recommend it. <laughs> the covenant, we are God's covenant people. The Jews are God's covenant people under the old covenant. We, as born-again believers, are God's covenant people under the new covenant, and as Hebrews tells us, a greater covenant, because it is under greater promises. Promises that are all the Lord, not contingent on us, all fulfilled in Jesus on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And we are chosen. God, God does not abandon his people on account of the fact that we are so good. No, no, on the count of the fact that we're just so cute, is that, you know, don't you ever have that like with our dog, Gizmo, I I get him all the time and I grab him and I look at him and I say, if you weren't so cute, right, I bring your decorator, no, that's not it, God doesn't look down on us and say, you know, if you weren't so doggone cute, no, it's because of his name. It's because his name. It's because our name is on the imprint of his hands. The covenant. He poured out his blood for us. And we are covered under that covenant. He cannot go against that. We sang it earlier. I love that, how the Holy Spirit leads Pat to put a song in there when we're talking about that, you know, our desire that we live for his pleasure, we live as Christians for God's pleasure, not our pleasure. I don't know if that upsets anybody in the room tonight, but we're not ex- we don't exist for our pleasure. We exist for his pleasure. But the beauty in this verse, as we look at this and we say it, that he doesn't derive pleasure from our service. It's not, he, he's not, he's not excited and happy and, and this whole thing because of what we can do for him. I, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble in this room, but we can't do anything for him. <laughs> I mean, we can't, we'd have nothing to offer him. He, he, his pleasure is not in our service. His pleasure is in the servant. His pleasure is in a relationship with you. So many examples, descriptions are given to us in the, in the word of God as to this relationship that we have. And yes, one of them is master and slave, absolutely. But the one that is referred to over and over by Jesus himself is father and children. I don't, I don't know if anybody in the room had children to raise up little servants. But if you did, how's that working for you? I mean, I, 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 I love it when my kids do things for me. But you know what? Quite honestly, it's not the end result. It's the fact that they want to do something for me. It's the relationship that we have when we do something together. I, I, that's, that's what I desire. It's not the end result. We're, we're, we, that father, son, another one, husband, wife, we are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. All you husbands who married a servant, repent. Because you were supposed to marry your, your completer. I love it when my wife serves me, but it's not the service. It's because I love the fact that she's doing something for me. It's not the act. It's the heart behind it. And my desire is to serve her. God doesn't, he doesn't derive pleasure from the service. He derives pleasure from the servant and the relationship with the servant. Because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 
despising the shame. The joy that was set before him. The relationship with us. Wow. A lot in that verse. Verse 23. Moreover, Samuel again still speaking. Moreover, as for me. He's handing off the baton of the leadership. Like I said, the the governmental leadership. He's not judge anymore. He's handing this over to the king, but his responsibility is far from over. He says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. His ministry will be ramped up even more in prayer and instruction. (laughs) Just like the the early church in Acts, the leadership there says, we're going to devote ourselves to the word of God and to prayer. Samuel is saying the same thing. I am going to devote everything that I have to praying for you and to teaching you the word. Reminds me a little bit of the prayer, and I was drawn to this prayer, one of the, just a great prayer to pray. If you're a note taker, jot it down, Colossians chapter 1. Paul talks of the prayer that he prays for the church in Colossae and no doubt the other churches that he pastored and ministered to. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, the fact that you are on fire for the Lord, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Praying that their knowledge would increase, again, through the word of God, through study and through, through intimate relationship with the Lord so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of the steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What a great prayer. And here we see Samuel's heart Along the same lines, devoting himself to that ministry of prayer and to continue to teach them the ways of God. Only, verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you do wicked, still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Your king won't be able to save you if you turn away from God. Now chapter 13 Verse 1 is a really interesting one. Um, the, tr- all sorts of different, uh, if, we, if you have five different translations, verse 1 will be translated five different ways. There's, there really is a lot of misunderstanding. There, there isn't a definitive answer as to how verse 1 should be read. The New American Standard has it, as Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, he reigned 42 years over Israel. Now, Acts tells us he reigned for 40 years. Paul tells us that, in speaking in the book of Acts, that he reigned for 40 years. But if you'll notice in the New American Standard, both, the, both 30 and 40 are in italics, which means those words aren't in the original text. As a matter of fact, the literal reading of verse 1 was Saul was one year old when he began to reign and reigned for two years. So many believe, and this is what I tend to believe, is that at this point, Saul has reigned for two years. What we were speaking through through the first two years of his reign. Now again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. It really doesn't matter. At this point, we know that he's still very early on in his reign in the first couple of years. Now Saul chose for himself, verse two, three thousand men of Israel, of which two thousand were with Saul and Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, while one thousand were with Jonathan and Gibeah of, Be- of, of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent. So he had 330,000. He sent them all away except 3,000. Okay? Kept 2,000 for himself in his little troop. Sent 1,000 with his son Jonathan. Now, if his son Jonathan is commander over 1,000 men, Saul can't be 30, probably. (laughs) Unless he had him when he was 15, and he's now having a 15-year-old son command 1,000 people. Probably not. But again... Regardless, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba 
and the Philistines heard of it. So Jonathan takes a thousand men and goes and wipes out a garrison of Philistines. Now we're going to see at the end of this chapter that they didn't have any steel weapons, swords, or spears. So quite a feat of, of faith as Jonathan moves against these enemies of Israel and of God. Wipes out this garrison. Here in verse 3, we see a change in the character of Saul right away. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. So Saul, we start seeing here, starts to develop a sense of pride already early on early was given glory to God, even hiding from the, the, the limelight. Now, his son has a great victory. He blows his own trumpet and says, Saul had a great victory. We'll see later that his ego grows to the point where he can't even stand when David is getting credit for his great victories. When the chant goes out, Saul has slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. Instead of rejoicing in the fact that the enemy is being destroyed, Saul gets jealous and tries to kill David. But that's coming in later chapters. It will continue to get worse for Saul. Now the Philistines, verse 5, assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people like sand on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of beth <clears throat> So in response to Jonathan wiping out this garrison, basically all of the Philistines gather together and come against him. Now remember, Saul has sent away the army. There's only 3,000 left. We're going to see in verse 15 that only 600 stick around. Why? Well, verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, they were in a real pickle, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and in cellars and in pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad, into Gilgal. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. I'm sorry, Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So, Everybody, everybody takes off running and hiding, and, and some of them even leave and cross back over the Jordan River. They're so afraid of this. And Saul is down to 600 men, and they're panicked. They're freaking out. Now, if you've been with us in our study, especially through the book of Judges, the last time we saw this reference where the, the enemy was as numerous as the sand on the seashore, anybody remember who was the judge at the time? Gideon. <laughs> I don't know what Saul's worried about. He's got twice as many men as Gideon had. And Gideon wiped him out. But the problem is, Saul's not walking by faith as Gideon did. We see that all of the people following Saul were trembling. They looked at their current situation and they were panicked. They were freaking out. And from a worldly standpoint, you can understand I mean, the, the, the chariots and the horsemen and the, and the soldiers, and like I said, at the end of this chapter, we're going to see they don't have any modern weapons at all. The Philistines have them all. And looking at that, you can see that they would probably be trembling. But the fact of the matter is, their God isn't trembling. God's not worried. Their, their true king isn't worried at all. <laughs> He's not troubled. He may be troubled by the lack of faith, but he's not troubled by the odds. Like I said, he, he, took care of, he took care of this problem before with half the men. Now he waited, Saul, verse 8, seven days, according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Now back in chapter 10, Samuel told Saul that this day would come one day. And when it came, he was to go to Gilgal and he was to wait seven days and Samuel was going to show up and offer sacrifices to the Lord. So this day, no doubt, has been even discussed since then. This is a couple of years after Samuel told him this. And so he would wait seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal 
and the people were scattering from him. So Saul's faith is being tested. His patience is being tested, and he is failing miserably in this test, as we are going to see. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offerings. This is an absolute (laughs) no-no. The the only ones that are allowed to offer these burnt offerings to the Lord are priests and prophets like Samuel. That is all. The king is absolutely forbidden to do what Saul is doing right now. Not to mention the fact that Samuel told him to wait. And as the prophet of God, God is speaking to Saul to wait. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. Goes out as if nothing happened. Goes out, hey, Samuel, been waiting for you. Went out with a, with a regular greeting, trying to cover up and deceive. And we're going to see this pattern in Saul as it continues, a, pa- a pattern of deception, a pattern of pretending to be something that you're not, a hypocrite pretending to be godly, pretending to be walking with the Lord, yet completely being disobedient. And Paul, or John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that, we're, we're, that we have fellowship with God, if we proclaim this, yet we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves. And we can deceive ourselves. And that's what's going on here with Saul. He thinks that he can fool Samuel into what's going, that, that nothing's been going on, been waiting for you patiently, but he doesn't fool him, obviously. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, because I saw. Notice again, because I saw. I looked around with my physical eyes, and I saw that things were a wreck, a mess, so I started handling it in my own strength. I started thinking, <laughs> always a problem, instead of looking with the eyes of faith and trusting in Almighty God. Remember, it was just a matter of days before that Samuel had recounted all of the things that God had done in his faithfulness. And Saul was probably one of those that says, I know, I know. I know you know. But you need to hear it again. Because he saw that the people were scattering from me. And that you did not come within the appointed days. So it's the people's fault for running away. And it's Samuel, it's your fault for for not showing up when I thought you should. And it's the Philistines' fault because they were assembling at Michmash. Excuses. Instead of saying, I have sinned horribly. I panicked and I sinned. He's adding to his sin by now pushing it off, making excuses. And that happens with us, guys. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we need to repent. But so often we make excuses and put it off, push it off onto others. It's been around since the beginning, though, what Adam and Eve did from the very beginning. And it's just a trait that's kept on with us. Well, therefore, verse 12, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked for the favor of the Lord. Now he's blaming God. Now he's saying, you know, and I, I, hadn't, I didn't do all of the things that God wants me to do beforehand, so I figured I'd better get into the process. So I forced myself and offered a burnt offering. I don't know about you, but this brings me right back to, again, remember when the, the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant into battle? Like, this is what, the, it's just this good luck charm that we need to do. And Saul is here saying, uh-oh, you know what? I didn't, I, we got to do this process. Bing, 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 in order to please God. Again, God doesn't desire sacrifice. He desires obedience. He desires a heart that says, all right, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm patiently waiting on you. Not say this prayer 10 times and this thing 12 times and make sure that you do this and yada, da, 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 da. Again, God's not interested in the service. He's interested in the servant. Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. 
The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command as the Lord commanded you. Patience. Faith. That is what God desires. And real quickly in Hebrews chapter 6, the author of Hebrews speaking to the Christians, he, he's contrasting them, and I wanted to spend a little more time in this, but I don't have it tonight. So Hebrews 6, read the whole chapter later. But he's contrasting believers with non-believers in chapter 6. And speaking of the believers, he says, but you, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking in this way, for God is not unjust as to forgive your work or forget your work and to love and the love with which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Through faith and patience we inherit the promises. The problem comes when we run out of faith and patience and we start acting on our own. We start stepping out in our own wisdom, in our own understanding. But we are not to do that. In all our ways, we are to acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight, the, the, the Solomon said in Proverbs. Through faith and patience. Here Saul lacked both of them and it cost him dearly. His kingdom will be taken from him and given to someone else. A man after his own heart, as it says. Now we know, we know who that man is, do we not? David. Now something interesting. Again, running, running a little short on time, but follow me here. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 4 says, David was 30 years old when he became king and reigned 40 years. David was 30 years old when he became king. Now that's not in italics, that's the thing. He was 30 years old when he became king. How many years has Saul reigned right now? Two. How many is he going to reign? 40? How old is David right now? How old is David in our text right now? He's not born yet. David is not born yet. Go back and look what it says. The Lord has sought for a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Where are you going with this? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, and we'll close with this. Verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am, I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you that he designed before you were born. And he, that plan is to, be, be, to use you in mighty ways. So many of us in this room, and myself included, we sell ourselves short because we say, I'm, I, I wasn't, I'm not made for that. That's not me. And God is saying, I will put my words in your mouth. I will be the one who will work in and through you. 
God is talking about David here before he is born. Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. I knew everything about you. I consecrated you for this. I made you for this. I made you to bring pleasure to me, God says. And again, we bring him pleasure in this relationship that we have with him. I wanted to finish the chapter tonight, but we will pick it up there. It kind of flows into chapter 14, but I want to leave on that thought again. That God desires that relationship with you. And if there's anything in your life that is between you and that perfect relationship with God, deal with that tonight. Deal with that tonight. You're not disqualified. He wants to take you from right now and move forward. He has great plans for you. Plans that he designed before you were born. In your mother's womb, he had these plans for you. And it's simply a matter of saying, all right, Lord, I yield to that. I give myself to that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories that you have preserved for us. And Lord, as your word tells us, these, wor- these stories are here for our learning so that we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of you. These aren't just ancient stories that are, that are fascinating to read. Lord, they are a part of your holy living word. Lord, we ask that you would do a work in us tonight. Lord, I pray that each one of us would have that moment tonight with you, wherever that might be, just that some intimate time with you and allow you to speak to our hearts. Because so often, Lord, we listen to the enemy, the enemy who is telling us that we have failed, that you you can't use us because of what we have done. But Lord, we know that the blood of Jesus paid for all of our sins, every sin. So Lord, if there's things that we need to confess and we need to deal with, we want to do that right now. We lay it all down again before you and God, we give you our life. Take it, use it for your glory, for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.